it seemed appropriate that Thanksgiving week, we would take a moment just to stop and kind of think about the things that we're grateful for. And particularly as a congregation, as a group of people who our very purpose in being together is to celebrate what God is doing in our lives and to have an opportunity in the midst of our schedule to just kind of stop this morning, worship him, think about his word, and just acknowledge how important, how significant, how much he's touched and influenced our lives. We came out of the Let's Go series and we've studied the book of Acts. We're going to pick up on the book of Acts, not with Let's Go all over again, uh, but, but some new rendition of that. And we're going to pick it up where we left off with Peter and start actually to look at the Apostle Paul in the spring. So this kind of became this gap between Christmas and everything else. And then it dawned on me about halfway through the week, if we're going to talk about Thanksgiving, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, does that make this message leftovers? because most of us have been eating leftovers most of this weekend. Um, we, had a, we had a great time together as a family. Several of you asked this morning. It was actually one of the most relaxing Thanksgiving. Um, my daughter-in-law, who's up in the tech booth with my son, who is her husband, uh, hosted us. We had great food and a great time together as a family. Um, it was like the most peaceful Thanksgiving I've ever had because we didn't have to do anything. Normally on Thanksgiving, I'm up early helping Carrie clean the house for everybody coming over. But we got to go to their house. And um, so we slept late, went and got biscuits and gravy at Whataburger and just made it an easy day and let them do all the work. All those years of training my son how to wash dishes paid off this past Thursday. It, it was just a fun time. And Kiko, we're grateful for that as a family. And it was good to be together. So I don't think this is leftovers. I think after this, anything, one of the most powerful things we can do is just stop every once in a while and think about what we're grateful for. And I want to go to the scriptures to do that. I want to go to the book of Psalms, which is an amazing book. It's 150 chapters of lyrics. All of these are poems and lyrics that were put to music in the historical context. We don't have that anymore. It makes me wonder sometimes, uh, without diverging off too too bad, If there's not something providential about the fact that melodies don't last, melodies always change with every generation, but lyrics last and continue to touch lives. And especially the lyrics to the songs of God's people in the past contained in scripture because we know because the Bible says it of itself that this is inspired of God. This is is his word to us, speaking to us through the lives of people that pinned them, but they pinned them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And for all of these decades, centuries, even millenniums, God has preserved it and kept it in our Bible so that this generation can learn from the lyrics of those who sang in prior generations. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. This is only just a few verses long, nine verses long. We're in Psalms 28, and I'm going to ask you to stand while we read this this morning. We'll just change it up a little bit. If you're reading from a different version, I'm reading and teaching from um, the Christian Standard Bible. Lord, I call to you, Psalms 28, verse 1, Lord, I call to you, my rock. 
Do not be deaf to me. If you remain silent to me, I will be like those going down to the pit. Listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with the evildoers, who speak in friendly ways with their neighbors while malice is in their hearts. Repay them according to what they have done, according to the evil of their deeds. Repay them according to the work of their hands. Give them back what they deserve. Because they do not consider what the Lord has done or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and not rebuild them. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart celebrates, and I will give thanks to him with my song. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the stronghold of salvation for his anointed. Save your people. Bless your possession. Shepherd them and carry them forever. You may be seated again. We're going to look specifically at verses 8 and 9. The first part is a typical psalm, a typical song that took place in their worship. It's written by David, who was the second king of Israel and an author of many of the psalms that we have. And it expresses in this first part the frustration the lack of justice that seems to be apparent so many times, the, the concern and, and the, the anxiety that maybe God has become unaware of our plight or our circumstances or our situation, the brokenness of our hearts, the brokenness of our lives, the dysfunction of lives that's not functioning the way it should function and the way we want it to function. All of that in those first few verses, but because it's Thanksgiving, and I just want to remind us, as I've reminded myself this past week, why I can be thankful. I go to verse eight, I mean, go to verse six, because there I begin to see the solutions and the answers and the motivation for my gratitude and the motivation for my thanks. David starts this stanza with a simple phrase, blessed be the Lord. Blessed is just an expression of adoration. It's a recognition of both authority and at the same time a depth of love and compassion and a desire to, in a sense, encourage, <clears throat> which may seem a little odd that we would think in terms of encouraging God, but encouraging him by acknowledging what he has done and that we're grateful for it. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. How important this is. How significant this is in its moment to recognize that God hears us. I don't think I'm the only one, but one of the greatest frustrations I have in life is if I feel like somebody's not listening. And we face situations and circumstances all the time. Sometimes in our marriages, and our relationships, sometimes with our kids, sometimes with our parents, sometimes at work, sometimes at school. We, we want desperately to tell somebody something, and whether it's important or not doesn't really matter. It's important to us, and we're wanting to give that expression, give that conversation, maybe make that request. 
And we're just uncertain as to whether or not they hear us. And I, I, I got a feeling that I frustrate our staff at times. They have not complained to me. They, they might tomorrow um, as a result of today because sometimes I'm just not sure they're listening. And so sometimes in a staff meeting, sometimes at lunch, I, I find myself repeating myself over and over again. I think it's a good idea that we do this song in worship. And I make a suggestion. And then about 45 seconds later, I really think it would be good if we do this song in worship. Now, I'm not specifically applying or implying anything towards Pastor Josh. He's on live stream right now from where he's at and visiting, so he is hearing at the exact same moment what I'm saying to you at the same time. And so he's with us um, in that regard today as well. It's more on my part. There is a built-in insecurity. There's a, there's a built-in um, inappropriate form of vulnerability that just isn't sure. It wants to be absolutely convinced. I'm hurt. I, I do it all the time. I just keep repeating it over and over again. Then I become a Christian, and I begin to learn how to pray and I'm speaking, and I was taught conversationally, and so um, while I do occasionally, just like we did reading this psalm together out loud and standing up in recognition of God's word, I will do that. I will, I will read. The Bible plan that I'm in right now takes me through the Bible in a year, so annually I read through the entire Bible, have that opportunity, and that Bible plan has me do an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, has me do at least a psalm or a part of one of the longer psalms, and has me do a proverb. And I love it when I get to Psalms because it touches and speaks to my heart so significantly. And I will occasionally do that. I will just simply read it out loud. There are written prayers and recorded prayers of great teachers and pastors throughout the years. And I oftentimes will pick those up and in a devotional sense of just seeking some encouragement, will read those prayers. But I was taught that my prayer was much more relational, that it was a conversation, it was an intimate interaction between me and God. But the problem is, if I can look you straight in the face and wonder whether or not you're hearing me, then imagine what happens when I'm alone in my office or I'm alone in my living room or I'm alone in my study or I'm alone outdoors someplace and I'm trying to tell God what's on my heart and there's typically in the moment, not a response. And David expressed that earlier. We, we read those words together. Listen to the sound of my pleading. When I cry out to you for help, when I lift my hands toward you in the holy sanctuary. Look at verse one. David leads off. I call to you, my rock. Do not be deaf to me. I think that's why I like David so much. Such a strong start and such a vulnerable, authentic moment. I cry to you, my rock, don't be deaf to me. We can't hear it in the moment. We see it. Any one of us can sit down with you and we can have a cup of coffee together and we can talk about it and we can tell you any number of times God's answered our prayer. But rarely in that exact moment. 
And yet, when David gets six verses later from verse one, he acknowledges his very first moment of thanksgiving is God hears me. He has heard the sound of my pleading. I learned a number of years ago from a pastor friend, particularly in the area of sin and the continual confessing of the same sin over and over and over again or the same frustration or the same doubt over and over again. And, and as I was listening to him teach, he asked the question, can you not believe that God heard you the first time? And if God heard you the first time, particularly in the regard to confessing of sin, can you not believe that he responded to it and forgave? And then he posed the question to the group that was together. He posed the question, he said, so if you've confessed it and if God has heard it and you have a volumes of his promise to forgive and you've seen the example of Jesus' death on the cross to know that he can forgive and will forgive, then isn't it sin to request forgiveness for the same sin over again. Isn't it a statement, I don't believe you did it. I don't believe you heard me. I don't believe you're listening. Isn't it a statement of lack of faith? And I have to admit, I sat there in that moment and thought, I'm guilty as charged. If I'm willing to do it to you, my friends, and repeat myself over and over and over again, then how many times will I just assume he didn't hear And so it becomes a bold statement of gratitude to be able to say, blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. He has heard my prayer. The amazing thing about God is he knows us so well, both because he created us and because he recreated us in our relationship with Jesus and the new life we have in Jesus, that he even knows my heart and he knows what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling before I ever even express it to him. And even promises sometimes when, when that pleading is so difficult and so complex and so hurtful that if I'm not sure how to pray, that he will, through his spirit, even help me pray and pray for me. I'm thankful that God hears me. I'm thankful that he always listens. And I'm thankful that accompanied with his willingness to listen is his strength. These are simple phrases. Any one of you could have taught this passage of scripture this morning. The Lord is my strength. Because so many times, like David in Psalms 28, like David in these moments, I'm, I'm weak. And I, and I need help. And it's, it's so hard to ask for help. Not because I doubt that someone's willing to help, but there's a part of me that just thinks there's something wrong with that. Last week, he had these interesting experiences growing up. A great pastor friend of mine, he was, he kind of stepped into my life, um, really not so much as a dad, but as kind of an uncle, and at times even a big brother. And we prayed together every month for years. I met with him and several other pastors at his church in his office, and we prayed together every month. And we prayed specifically 
for revival, for God to move in our land and, and, and do something that just help people see him and know him and be in relationship with him and take the church and ignite it and light it on fire, we would walk in every single time and he would call me over, James, come over here. And there was a couch there in his office and we would get ready, all of us knelt. And um, he would say, you, you pray right next to me. And I was just arrogant enough that I was like, oh, I'm so special. <laughs> I may have even shared this story before because it's one of my favorites. And for months, I just thought it was so great that he, he called me over and asked me to kneel with him as this group of six or seven pastors would pray. I realized about month five or six that he actually called me over because I was one of the youngest guys in the room and he was going to need help standing up after we finished. Last Sunday we prayed, for, we prayed for Operation Christmas Child and I knelt next to one of our deacons and while I'm in the middle of praying I thought I'm so glad he's next to me because I don't know that I'm gonna be able to get up. I'm gonna need some help. I'm looking around for reassurance that I can do that. The scariest moment this fall for me if you were with us on Commitment Sunday, I took us into a time of prayer and I knelt up here. I mean, I was just kind of moving and operating, not necessarily thinking things through, and I just went down on my knees right here and asked everybody to pray. As soon as I hit this carpet, I thought, there is nobody up here. <laughs> At home, I kind of do this roll sort of thing. I mean, I have to get up in, in steps these days. It's just, things just aren't working the way they used to work. I was a little bit relieved that that same deacon that was praying with next, next to me, when he started to get up, he kind of stumbled just a little bit and had to reach down and brace himself on the boxes, and I thought, I'm not the only one. Aging is not for cowards. You may have seen those posters. But the truth is, it doesn't matter how physically strong we are, we all have moments when we're weak. And David recognizes not only has God heard me, but he strengthens me. He is my strength. We've, we've kind of got it backwards because we think strength is reflected in our might and our ability and our capability when the truth is some of the strongest people in our lives are some of the physically weakest because they have learned to depend upon Jesus. I don't have to be embarrassed to tell Jesus, I just need your help today. I'm gonna to need your help standing. I'm gonna need your help making this decision. I'm gonna need your help living the way I want to live instead of the way that I struggle and fight against. Even the Apostle Paul, who most of us in this room would revere as one of the greatest examples of a Christian, one of the most dynamic testimonies of conversion we'll look at this spring, um, one of, there's a, just an amazing man of God. And yet, when he wrote to his friends in Rome, he says, you know what? This, this struggle, I just keep doing the things I don't want to do, and I keep failing to do the things that I ought to do. He just recognized. We, we can't do it by ourselves. And God promises to bring strength. 
In whatever circumstance or situation we find ourselves in, whatever moment where we need that strength, he's there. He is my strength, and I am thankful that he hears me. I am thankful that he strengthens me, and I am thankful that he shelters me. He's not only my strength in verse 7, but he's my shield. And it took me a long time to understand that it was okay to need a shield to need somebody or someone to shelter. I think I'm a product of the American Southwest where everything is very, very independent and everything's all about your strength and all about your ability to do it yourself. And so asking for help is hard. It's, it's just difficult. And then to admit that you have to be protected, to admit that I need shelter, I mean, I, I pride myself being outdoors when the weather's bad. I know, and I know I'm not the only one because I see it. I'll watch a weather forecast, and I'll say to myself, man, it's going to be 28 degrees. There's going to be ice on the roads. It's going to be a short, small day at church. Everybody's going to stay home because it's too hazardous. Uh-uh, no, you are just as arrogant as I am. We have some of our best attendance when the news tells you to stay home and not go out. Because you, you know, there's just that thing inside. I've got to do it. Even if I need shelter. But this is, this is so much worse than weather. Because there are just times I need protection. There's just times I need shielding. There's just times I need it even against myself. And God protects he, he steps in and watches over us and cares for us. It's the instinct that we see so many times in parents or um, and those older than us and those that are nurturing. It's that desire to relieve from crisis. It's that desire to step in. Is that desire, even if it requires you to be in harm's way, to do what's necessary to help the person who needs rescue? And our, our military and our first line of defense in every area of response, whether it's law enforcement, fire, or ambulance, or health services, those first responders, they, they, they take that instinct and turn it into a professional career. But we have that instinct, every single one of us. If, if something happens to somebody we care about, we're willing to put ourselves in harm's way. And we do it before we even contemplate it or think about it. I personally believe every instinct we have is because God created us in his own image. And he's the ultimate first responder. He knows even before we're in trouble, that we're going to be in trouble, and he begins moving and acting and working to protect us. David understood it literally. He knew the value of a shield in warfare and knew that there are times you need to be protected. There are times when it's appropriate to hide and that God will take us, as the scripture says and as the old gospel songs, hide us in the cleft, hide us in the crag of that rock that is unmovable. Protect us. Even when Moses asked to see 
The unfiltered glory of God, God said, you just can't do it. It's, it's not possible. You cannot see my glory in this human condition and survive it. But God said, we'll do the best we can. And in the book of Exodus, God takes his hand figuratively, but literally in terms of his protection, and protects Moses as he walks by him. Because God's instinct is to take care of us. He hears us, he strengthens us, he shelters us, he simply helps us. Again in verse seven, my heart trusts in him and I am helped. He's there for us. And so I come through Thanksgiving week and I'm, I'm grateful for so many things. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for the activities. I'm grateful for the rest. A friend of mine here at church asked me this morning, told me, told me he said, I've been praying for you to rest. And I, I had to look to him and say, and this is hard because there's, I'm a, a part of a culture that says, oh no, you gotta work all the time. If you have value, you're working. But I was able to acknowledge to him that God had answered his prayer and that during the Christmas break, the office was closed Thursday and Friday, I slept late every one of those days. That's actually hard to me to admit because I know some of you have this sort of value system and, and you're not really a godly person unless you get up in the morning. I'm not a morning person. It's much easier for me to pray and to study at nighttime than it is in the morning. I'm just not wired that way. That's just, and my wife's not wired that way, and so that's just not how we function as a, as a couple. And so it's kind of embarrassing to say. I mean, I'm having that struggle. I'm thinking, oh, how many people think he's just lazy because he slept late? Well, I got an excuse this week. I slept late because one of our church members is praying that I would get rest over Thanksgiving. And so it's totally okay for me to sleep late if it was an answer to prayer. Because we need rest and we need help. And we we gather that in our relationship and with one another as well, and most importantly, with God. My heart trusts in him. And so the, the natural conclusion is actually pretty exciting. And we're going to do just that. In verse 7, at the end, he says, therefore, this is the very last stanza of this particular section, therefore my heart celebrates and I give thanks to him with my song. I love the way it says that. Therefore my heart celebrates. Our team's going to come up and we're going to do exactly that. We're going to sing before we close out and go about the rest of the activities of our day. My heart celebrates. He hears me. He strengthens me. He shields me. He helps me. He loves me. That's ultimately what David's saying. He loves me. I'm his. And earlier in the first part, he talks about God taking care of his possession. When I asked Jesus to come into my life, I relinquished control and I relinquished ownership of my life. I said, Jesus, I trust you to forgive me and I trust you to lead my life from this point forward. This is literally the prayer I prayed because fortunately I had a prayer written out for me that night. Lord, from this point forward, you're in 
control. You're going to be my Lord. I didn't even know what Lord meant at the time, but I understood it meant he's now the one calling the shots, not me. And he's never let me down. Honestly, most of the time when I get out out of sorts and out of this place of being strengthened and listened to and sheltered and supported and, and helped, it's usually because I said, okay, you've been in control for a while, let me take it over again. That's always a bad decision for me. So I just say it again, Lord, you're in control. You take control. You take care of me. And I'll just celebrate. 